Welcome to Crime and Wine. I'm Pamela Fagan Hutchins, your host, and this is the show where I talk with other crime fiction writers about the stories of thrills and suspense that will leave you mystified, sometimes horrified, and always wanting more. Please join me in welcoming today's special guest. Hello out there, coming to you from very snowy, still Wyoming. And in a minute, I'm going to be welcoming a guest from another snowy state. And I also wanted to show you my new glasses. I don't know if you can read the sip, read, repeat. I got new wine glasses for the show, but that is detox tea. So I am very excited about the guest I'm having today. And that's for one reason, because I enjoy his books. I've been reading um, the, the snow graves all day, but also because for years on Amazon, my also bots where, where it tells uh, readers who this person that you're reading, um, uh, people that read that book, who do they also read? Well, guess who's been on that list? None other than today's special guest, Roger Stelgis. <laughs> Hello, Roger. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, I appreciate your patience. We had a little technical kerfluffle earlier, folks. So I'm hoping that you catch up with us on the right show so that if you have any comments today for Roger, that you can um, ask him questions and things like that. So, Roger, you had a, a, a brand new release well, just a couple of days ago or? Uh, yeah, uh, Friday. Friday. And uh, tell us about the Snowgraves. Uh, so it's the, the, the fifth, uh, story in the, the Tory Hunter series. Uh, and, uh, this one, uh, is set, uh, more in winter up in uh, Northern Minnesota. Uh, so snowy, it, it fits with where we're at right now, but I think, um, it, it starts, uh, with a drive-by shooting in a small town, which is something you don't typically don't see. Right. And uh, the first person to really react to this drive-by shooting is a neighbor who is a stylist. And when you hear the shots or when, you re when you're reading the shots, she has a customer in the chair who freaks out and Maggie does not. And she knows exactly what she's hearing. She reacts to it almost as if to say, okay, wait for it. There's going to be the car pulling away. Then there's going to be the scream. And you you don't necessarily know. You don't know why Maggie knows these things, but it triggers your interest. Why? And she immediately goes next door like a field medic and is, you know, there's three people who've been shot and they're young kids. They're, they're, they're call two college kids and a high school kid and happens right in front of one of their moms. Yeah. And so that kind of grabs you right away. And into that investigation comes Tori Hunter, uh, her sidekick, uh, lover, Bill or Will Braddock, who's the chief detective for the county. Uh, Tori was a former FBI agent. And, you know, the, the investigation starts to unfold and it becomes a little bit of cat and mouse as we go along between Tori and Maggie who, as we'll find out throughout the story, have a lot more in common than, than you would think. And so that's kind of the nexus or, or how, it, how it all starts, at least. I love what you said about how, how it grabs you at the beginning, because this is one of those books that you start reading it 
And you're like, why am I feeling so tense? This is just two women sitting in a stylist shop. But already you had you had this feeling of tension going so that by the time the shots actually rang out and Maggie goes into her cool customer, you know, and goes in and knows exactly how to put the yep. tourniquet above the wound. And, you know, this may be the, you know, the, the ephemeral artery, you know, et cetera. It, I was completely hooked. It was like, what is going on with this woman? So anyway, great opening. I really enjoyed it. Great. Yeah. It, uh, it's fun to write. And you, and you just kind of think about, you know, the writing process is always interesting. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. And this is who Maggie is. But then when you start writing those scenes, it's like, well, she would know this or she wouldn't know that or, um, you know, and, and trying to ramp up the intensity of that scene so that, okay, there's this frantic effort to save their lives. But at the same time, you're just wondering, why does she know all this? Exactly. You know, and, and, and as a reader, you know, something's up, but you have no idea where this is going. And, and, and ultimately, you find out the backstory, obviously, as the story unfolds. So how, when you first started writing um, Tori, how did you, what was the premise? What did you come up with? Or, or was there something in the world or your life that made you want to write these yeah. characters in this place? Uh, so Tori, uh, taking a step back, I have a prior series that, um, you know, that had a male lead to it. And he was a homicide detective in St. Paul, Minnesota. But I've been going to the vacation areas in Minnesota up to the Brainerd Lakes area my whole life. And I always thought it would be great to stage a story there. Um, Tori is, you know, I, I was always kind of drawn to the, you know, the concept of leaving home and coming back. Mm -hmm. The backstory on Tori is, and this happens in the first book, is she has a, an identical twin sister who is abducted the summer before uh, their senior year in high school. And their father is the sheriff. And her sister, Jessie, is never found. Mm -hmm. I mean, she just disappears. Um, you know, Tori sees her, goes off with a boyfriend. And then later that night, the call comes. Her car is found out on the side of the road. And it's devastating to Tori. And it's devastating to her father, such that, Tori leaves Minnesota and doesn't come back for 20 years. And she's motivated by the disappearance of her sister that ultimately she becomes a, an FBI agent. She specializes in child abductions. Uh -huh. And she really had no intent to come back to Minnesota, except on the 20th anniversary of her sister, sister's disappearance, somebody else disappeared the same way. Ah. And, and, the, and the person responsible for it lets Tori know Ooh. and brings her back. And so that's the premise of the first story is, okay, can you go home to all these people who you were friends with? Can you go home and deal with the mental anguish of trying to solve the mystery of your sister's death, knowing that the killer is out there playing this game and messing yeah. with you and hunting you and no doubt wants to get you in the same situation. And so that's the that's the premise of where Tori comes from. So she's this very wounded, closed off person. And so it's that returning home. Uh, she meets Braddock, who's the investigator for the county, and they butt heads and, you know, but eventually, obviously, come to understand one another. Um, <laughs> so it I love their that, relationship. It's, yeah. it's a really nice give and take. Yeah. 
um, you know, he's pretty calm and mellow and Tori's not. So, <laughs> so, so it's yin and yang a little bit. Yes. So do you ever draw from real life or your own life for your stories or do ideas come to you in some other mysterious way? Oh, I, I think all of it. I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, definitely real life. I, I, I think all, you know, usually I'll, I'll see some idea, some event or something somewhere that says, yeah, I could, I could build a story around that. Right. I think, you know, real life, how does that impact it? Well, I, I actually think where it impacts the most is dialogue. Mm -hmm. I, I spend, I mean, for me, I like to tell my stories, not so much narrative. I mean, there certainly is narrative. There has to be, but I like to tell it more through the story, through the characters communicating with one another and, 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 and talking and different speech patterns and, you know, how people communicate and talk to one another. Um, you know, one of the biggest influences on me as a writer is actually a television show, The Wire. And, and just yeah. the, the authenticity of that. I, I mean, I try to aim for that. Um, now, it doesn't sound like street-level Baltimore drug dealers. It sounds like more like Norwegians up in northern Minnesota, but the concept <laughs> is the same idea. You know, you want it to be authentic. You want it to, you know, it's not Fargo because that's not really, that's the caricature, but right. there's elements of that to it for sure. Oh, I love that. And I definitely felt that. And, you know, that it's not like, it doesn't read like a screenplay, but it reads somewhere in between a book and a screenplay, which leaves a lot of room for a reader to use their imagination. Yes. You give them the right, you know, dialogue cues or just a, a few good things to get them going. And, and our readers are smart enough to fill in the blanks yeah. and picture this themselves. Now, Minnesota, a big part of your life and a big part of your books as well, um, seems like that you have a, a deep love or is it a love-hate or is it a... <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's mostly love. Right about now, I want winter to be over. So there's a little yes. bit of hate going on. <laughs> exactly. um, but uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a proud Minnesotan. Um, yeah. Proud of, proud of where I live, proud of, proud of where I've grown up. I've, you know, I've never ventured too far. Uh, I think it's a wonderful place to tell stories. Um, I think the Twin Cities are, I think Northern Minnesota is. Um, and so it's, and it's been fun because I've taken an area of the state that I've visited a lot and I've kind of created this fictional city in the middle of it. And, yeah. and, uh, and it's an amalgamation of a variety of Minnesota towns. And, um, you know, but I think it, 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 it's big enough that you can tell some bigger city stories, but it's small enough that you get lost in the woods and the lakes and the, right. and the snow and all that kind of stuff. And so. Yeah. yeah Cause the Minnesota climate is, is a, it is a big factor. The Minnesota woods, the Minnesota water, Minnesota mosquitoes. Yes. I actually um, used to live in Minnesota as a very small child, Osseo and uh, and St. Paul. So you got to um, be kidding! I went to Osseo High School. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Well, all I remember from being a small child there, uh, and then we moved to Wyoming next, and that kind of stuck. But um, is the mosquitoes the size of birds? I mean, just, <laughs> they could carry a child away. Yes, they. <laughs> And at times they, they might, uh, you know, and uh, especially when you get up North, um, yeah. you know, right at dusk, they just, they, they hit. And we've done that in a couple of the books. Um, yeah. And so, 
yeah, I, it's it's all part of the charm, uh, you know, being here. But but Minnesota, it does allow you to tell stories where in the middle of summer up in northern Minnesota, it could be 90 degrees and sweltering hot and it can be 30 to below in the middle of winter. And so yeah. it, it gives you a lot of terrain to play with. Uh, right. And I think that readers like that. I do too. And it gives you the ability with each book, not only to tell a new story, but almost to create a completely new backdrop for yes. it, you know, because the weather changes so dramatically. Okay. I'm going to switch gears with you. We do yep. this little thing. We being, we being me, we do this <laughs> little thing on crime and wine, where we do a speed round of questions. Okay. And I ask the authors that come on basically the same questions. So readers get to kind of compare their favorite crime fiction writers and how they um, answer these things. So which ones am I going to pick for you? Okay. First of all, are you a plotter or a pantser? Probably more of a plotter. I was going to guess that because of that lawyer background, I yeah. was going to guess, you know, you've been, you've been taught to, to, you know, set some rules and follow them. Right. Yeah. Methodical. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Um, we discovered earlier, you guys, that we have a very similar legal background. I gave up practicing law. Roger still practices, correct? Yes. You still practice, but it was a very related field. Um, dogs or cats or neither? Oh, dogs. Dogs? Are you? Uh, do you have dogs now? We don't now. Uh, I had dog as a kid, uh -huh. and lots of my friends have dogs. Uh, you know, unfortunately, my wife's kind of allergic to them, but I love dogs. So I'm a yeah. dog guy. Very cool. I'm hoping my four don't interrupt us um, here. <laughs> as we get, oh gosh, the cat is literally coming around. No cat. Uh, we may get a cat tail or maybe a whole cat coming across the screen in a second. Go away, Bo. He's a mouser. We have a cabin up on the face of the mountains in um, Wyoming. And, you know, it's, it's the real outdoors here. So the yeah. mice come. Um, all right. So it's happy hour. What is either, what are either you or Tori ordering if it's happy hour? Uh, if, if I'm ordering happy hour right now, it's an old fashioned. Okay. If, if Tori, it's wine, uh, yeah. either a white or a red, but she's, her go-to is wine for sure. And old fashioned, that's what my, um, my son-in-law drinks. And I, I, they're such elegant drinks. It's a very has a classy yeah. thing to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been it's been a more recent conversion. I mean, if it if it's not that, it's 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 a, it's a bourbon. Yeah, with a big ice cube. That's that's kind of what it is these days. Yeah, I love the big ice cubes. Okay, the if you keep anything silly, the silliest thing you keep in your office. It can be your writer office. It can be your lawyer office. But do you keep anything silly? Uh Oh, we got a couple of things I got on the shelf behind me. I'm actually in my office. Uh -huh. uh, you know, there's a there's a coffee cup that says I'm a ray of blanking sunshine. Uh, so for those days when you're not exactly feeling it. So does that yeah. shoe fit you occasionally, Roger? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's that's one of my one of my favorite things. Um, I have um, Maureen Downey saying, oh, my God, I love your books. And uh, well, you, you saw Maureen. that and said, thanks. I want to be sure that the um, other people that are watching the show see Maureen's comment. Yay, Maureen. And um, I'll move on to the next question. If you had a theme song or Tori had a theme song, what would it be? Uh, Tori's theme song. 
hit me with your best shot. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's uh, Minotaur, right? That's yeah. Okay. And, yeah. And Tori's got, Tori has a little bit of that, that she's feisty. She's got an edge to her. It, it's softened over the course of the five books as I think she's kind of gotten her life in order and has settled down, but it's still always there and she's yeah. still always up for a fight. So uh, I would definitely say that for me, it's born to run. Um, yeah. And we just went to Springsteen. He was just in town. So was he wonderful? So, yeah. Yeah. For sure. He doesn't seem to age as far as his performance goes. We <laughs> no. have Melanie Wheelwright Edwards, who wants your cup. I don't know if you're really <laughs> with it, but I think she thinks it may apply to her. Uh, um, all right. And so which part of the writing process do you like the most? First draft, the rewriting, structural edit kind of part. Um, do you like the research? Do you like, is there any part you don't like? Uh, <laughs> no, I pretty much like all of it. I get a little, it's interesting. I don't read my books once mm -hmm. they're done. Yeah. You know, um, so when I get to the end of the editing process, I've kind of, I mean, obviously you're paying very close attention to the details. You're trying to get it done. But in a lot of ways, I've mentally and emotionally moved on. Exactly. Um, for me, the best part is the first draft because for me, that's that's when I am a reader because yeah. I'm I'm discovering the book, I'm solving the mystery, it's unfolding in front of me. That's when I get the the kick out of that's when it's like reading if I'm reading somebody else's book. Right. For me, that's when I'm when I'm writing it. Because while I do a broad outline, obviously it. I leave room for maneuver in it. And, and uh, you know, I'm not sure a lot of writers necessarily do it that way, but, but that's kind of how I roll with it. And so I discover things as I go along. It's kind of makes the fun of it. It's like you have to wait for the characters to be themselves and, and say yes. their words and take you in directions. And that's the, for me, that's the most fun part is when they surprise you. Yeah. You, you thought you knew. But you didn't. Uh, I didn't think of that before. But boy, if I do this, this is going to. And then and then obviously, as as you know, this, I mean, OK, if I do that, though, man, that's going to change about five or six other things that I got to make sure I catch along the way. But yeah. And that, how much me, trouble am I going to be for straying from what I told my editor this book was going to be about? And yeah. <laughs> they're going to love it, though. Um, yeah. Maureen says she loves how Tori and Braddock are both alphas and their feistiness together. And that Maggie was such a wild character that she rooted for her. We also have Lynn Damaris. I hope I said that right, Lynn. If I didn't, I apologize. It's, it's her first time here. Oh. She says hello. So welcome. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Um, and so last of my speed round questions, and this one's my favorite. If you played the lottery and won the lottery, what would be <laughs> the first five things that you um, did with the money? So I, I saw this question. I, I wrote out an answer for this one because I thought oh, that would be hard to come up with five right away. So <laughs> new set of golf clubs, <laughs> uh, Ford Shelby Mustang GT. Um, I love that kind of that car. <laughs> um, my wife would like to take a trip to someplace like Fiji or Bora Bora. I want, you know, vacation oh, yeah. hunt mm -hmm. over the water. Mm -hmm. um, we would buy our dream lake house. And, uh, and I would fund a literacy foundation. Oh, that would be good. Yeah. Uh, so do you already do work with literacy or is it just kind of a dream? I would like to. Um, 
I had a son who's dyslexic. And so yeah. he went to this school that works with kids who are dyslexic and we donate to that school. And I'd like to, you know, someday, you know, put together a scholarship or fund, you know, for other kids to get the assistance yeah. that he got because it really saved him. And so, yeah, I mean, if I won the lottery, I'd, I'd, I'd there'd be, I definitely would do that. With the lake house, is that Northern Minnesota? Is there? Well, it, it, we, we actually live on a lake here in the twin cities, yeah. but there's the house that you would dream of. And <laughs> Yeah, you know, exactly. then the one we've got, right? So, uh, that that and 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 my wife and I were, were we're looking for that dream house, but you know, there's budget and all that other kind of stuff that gets in the way. But yeah, you know, if you won the lottery, maybe it doesn't. So yeah, my husband just told me the other day. You know, we have uh, we got a place in Maine and we've got this place in Wyoming. Both of them are really rugged. And he goes, you know, what happens when we get old and we don't like the cold anymore? We need a beach house. I'm like, where is this coming from? What budget? <laughs> what imaginary budget is going to pay for this? <laughs> but you know, you can dream. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to just keep writing books, Pam. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. And you too. By the way, yes. Lynn says Dimmerist. And he's a boy. So Lynn, I had to put that one up there to make sure that I rehabilitated <laughs> myself with you after I said your name wrong and called you not a boy. I'm so sorry. Well, so you guys, I already told you I've been reading this book all day. I love it. I really love it. And you heard Maureen say that she loves it. So I think there's no choice but for you to go out and pick up a copy of The Snow Graves. But if you're going to do that, it might as well get the other four books along with it. I mean, you know, I, I wholeheartedly endorse that approach. I mean, it, there's a nice build right into the snow graves, although I'll say that they all stand on their own. I mean, obviously there's a trail, uh, there's a backstory for all the characters that flows through it, but each book stands pretty much on its own. Well, I, I can second that as well. So you guys go check it out. And Roger, thanks for being on the show with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it immensely. And it goes fast. So I'm, we're already going to say goodbye to Roger and we'll see you next time with your next release. Maybe you'll come back on. For sure. So you guys, thanks a bunch for watching. Just real quickly, some of the obligatory things you hear me say every week. This is a copyrighted and solely owned production of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. If you want to watch past shows or see the upcoming shows, um, maybe get a copy of the books uh, before the shows air so you'll have your questions ready. You can find them all at my website where you can also find my books. Um, latest releases are Sitting Duck and Bighorn. Um, and that's all I've got for you today. This was super fun. So check with me next time when we will have more crime and wine to share with you. Thanks for joining us today on Crime and Wine chats with crime fiction authors and Pamela Fagan Hutchins. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll check back in with us next time for more thrills, suspense, and stories that will mystify, sometimes horrify, and always leave you wanting more.